Hello, everybody. It's episode 21, and we are talking about a pretty uh, edgy topic today. Uh, Anne and I have been in, we've had all these moments together recently where we've we've had these like collisions of inspiration around ideas. Uh, and one of the things I know Anne loves to do is she loves the intersection of different disciplines and, and different ideas. And so today we're talking about the intersection of AI and embodiment. And we're going to share with you why we're talking about that um, and how that came to be a part of our recent uh, conversation and what we feel like the role of embodiment is as we move quickly, right? Marching speedily toward the use of AI and more and more of our the aspects of our life building and our business building. But first, our uh, beloved What's in Process, What's in Progress. Um, I haven't really had a moment to think about it. Do you have something off the top of your head? Yeah, I do it. Go off the top of my head. <laughs> okay. I totally have something to share today. Okay, I can't um, wait. I am forever very grateful that I have um, stepped away from a brick and mortar uh, business ownership. Um, I didn't even realize the, the, how, how, how it was affecting me until it was no longer there. Um, in mm. that embodied way. And I'm just really enjoying myself. And <laughs> That's so obvious. <laughs> some of that enjoyment is, um, my family will be traveling, uh, abroad for the first time since the pandemic and um we i bought the tickets a, a couple like an hour ago so nice um, all <laughs> set i'll communicate that with you chantel on the dates exactly but yeah um, so i'm just great. so excited to to do that and so thankful that i, I have the opportunity to so yeah awesome so great um i think uh one thing i'm i'm feeling kind of mm, uh, compelled by is um, this new endeavor that we have, which is to bridge embodiment with brain-based learning and coaching. Mm -hmm. And so it, Anne and I are in this intensive process of um, learning a whole new skill set in a way around brain-based coaching and leadership through the Neuroleadership Institute, yay, NLI. Um, and we've complete, completed phase one and it's been really interesting. It's beautiful, actually, of course, in hindsight to feel like you have put yourself in a position to really be pushed and would to recognize the, um, expression in yourself of being pushed <laughs> into zones of, of, uh, you know, not knowing, not being an expert, um, not really understanding or not having your expectations met and having to shift expectations and I'm just really digging deep, which is great. And it's been personally very satisfying, but also immediately so impactful for us in our business and the way that we are engaging and, and supporting our entrepreneurs, our leaders and our, and our educators. So I'm just, I love that. I really love that we've stepped into that. And I think you all who are listening and have been listening will notice the shift um, in our conversation and how we talk about things because it's it's going to make, I think, a maybe a subtle but um, 
subtle but significant? Can that be, can those two things exist at the same time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So really impacting the nuance of, of the way that we engage with, with our work and, and our lives really. So that's what I'm feeling pretty excited about these days. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really fun because I think most of you know Chantel and I work together and um, a lot of what we learned, po portion of what we learned is, is how in which to ask questions and how in which to support people and, um, and insight development. And um, it's just so fun to see us each already positioning questions and, and supporting people in that way. Um, yeah. And it just makes me realize how all along we've have been um, <clears throat> even in the world of like Pilates, you're frequently just, you know, trying to support people in developing insights. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if they can have a felt insight, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's um, so strong. So yeah. Really yeah. It. It's definitely influenced, I think our work and the way we're positioning the work that we've created already and giving us inspiration as to what we want to create moving forward. And I think it's given us also this beautiful um, depth and consistency in the language that we're using about our work. So of course you and I always are like one of our big objectives with everybody that we work with is clarity and how do we come to clarity? And I think you and I through this process are just becoming more and more clear and, and that's really exciting um, to be in that and to share that. And speaking of which, that is actually uh, one of the moments where we started talking about this idea of the intersection of AI and embodiment was at our January retreat. Um, some of you know that we take uh, monthly, if possible, trips to Napa to hang out with each other and, um, you know, connect and share space um, and do a lot of ideation and a lot of business building. And so we were there early January. We were sitting at one of our favorite places that we make our way to by the kind of the end of the day. Um, the Andaz in Napa is a hotel, beautiful lounge area. And we're sitting in this, you know, we, this is cocktail time. So, <laughs> you know, we've worked all day and we're winding down and we're debriefing. Yeah. And it's kind of the moment where we let our, our minds expand and we just Go, kind of go for for flow and and creativity, which I love. So we're sitting in these this big leather couch, and we have our cocktails, and we're talking about um, changing our business name. And we had been prompted by our mentor and coach to consider where our business would be in ten years, and and what kind of impact we thought we would be making in the world in ten years. And um, and being the brilliant scholar that she is pulls out, um, you know, I don't remember exactly what you said, but something to the effect of like, well, in 10 years, you know, AI is going to be every, it's going to be in everything. It is going to be a part of the way that we function in the world. And so if we are an embodied based business, right, driven by sharing embodiment and how to tap embodiment and leverage embodiment and, and all of what that means, how does that, what is the intersection between, inner, you know, embodiment and AI? And so we started going down this beautiful, fun rabbit hole of talking about that. And so we want to share that conversation with you because if you are a creator of any kind, business builder or a leader, you have, you know, whether you're 
a copywriter or you are, you know, an advocate of some kind, like if you are putting work in the world, you, you're probably coming up against AI. I mean, even if you have a freaking smartphone and a computer, right, you, you probably are coming up against AI um, uh, in, in a way that you're aware of, <laughs> right? Because I think it's, it's living below the surface in so many ways that we're not aware, but we're going to, we're going to, Anne is going to take us down this path today to talk about a specific aspect of AI that's really prevalent um, and, and how embodiment, what are the, what's the potential of embodiment to maintain the humanness of, of the result of the AI? And then we'll see where that goes. I think we could probably take it in a lot of different directions. But oh, Well, thank you so much for, for laying that out there, Chantel. I love that. Um, one of, so why I'm motivated to speak on this is because there was a time in the past where there was another new technology and I was, and I wasn't able to speak out about it. And, (laughs) and I think like, it's important that people who are in the embodied arts have their voices be heard. One of the things we know is when you have an overlap of ideas, you can have, um, new ideas come to play. And it's important that our voices be heard and that we're not just always um, just on the receiving end of technology. Why cannot, of course we can be at the, at the forefront. Right. Um, and so that's why I want to speak out on this concept, even though I'm not an AI developer <laughs> by, by any means. Um, but what I do want to share is years ago um, in the age of the brain, there was a time when they were really just starting to put um deep brain implants into the brain to really support people with Parkinson's, to support people who were stuck in their bodies and could not move. And then maybe they wanted to move like a robotic hand. And, and this was with brain implants. And I remember I was listening to science Friday, which is a show that (laughs) I listen to occasionally it's on NPR out here in the West coast. And they were really taught and, and, and the opportunity was you could speak to the person who was developing this technology and I was on the phone and I was ready. I'd like called in. I had my kids. I'd somehow managed to like, they were quiet and I was ready to talk. And they're like, <laughs> oh, and we ran out of time. And I was oh. like, so bummed. I was like, oh, I have all these questions for you. Have you thought of this? And what I wanted them to think about was this connection of, and in like, you're working with researchers who are very, very good at developing you know, the technology of, of the brain and, and allowing, you know, some sort of electronic device to read brain signals. But how can we draw more attention to those brain signals or how can we create movement that is in support of the technology? And I know that with the attention and intention that you give movement when you are being really thoughtful about it, like in an example of Pilates, when you are so in tune, that in my mind, that probably would have really helped those um, developers of that work, where Mm -hmm. rather than get someone who maybe is really skilled at um, the design of the piece, but not with body movement, because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like, well, we'll just get the body to move and it doesn't really matter, right? As long as yeah, it's moving. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's almost like point. you just kind of get like swept under the rug. And I'm like, no, there's very different ways in which to teach movement. People in the movement arts are really smart. <laughs> they know what they're doing. And so let's bring these pe- these together. So 
now that the now that AI is is out there and it's definitely in the headlines right now, and you know we never know what's going to happen with technology. Like sometimes it goes somewhere and sometimes it is it's a fizzle. But I it seems like AI is is really here to stay and is something that's going to be really big. Is I as I I, I want to take a stand <laughs> and share that people who study embodiment who know how to uh you know get someone not just to move but to feel that ability to bring feeling out to bring sensation out and awareness of feeling is just so huge and so important within our um with within AI and I just don't want us to you know be left on the uh you know, just kind of be left there again. It's like, no, no, we can really bring a lot to that. Um, and so I've been reading articles mainly in pop culture, um, but I've been reading, um, there was one article I wanted to reference today that will be in the resource notes for our um, for the podcast by David Brooks from the New York Times, where he writes, in the age of AI, you know, major in being human. So he's essentially arguing like, you know, study or you know get a major in a university or something like that in something that has that has a sense of being human and mm. and he gives multiple op- options he talks about a distinct personal voice presentation mm. skills being talented or having creativity unusual world views and empathy but i was as i was looking at this i still feel like there's a lot that's one big piece that's missing is this piece of sensing our awareness um, or having awareness of, of, of your embodied feelings. And you can grow that awareness through the context of Pilates. You can grow that awareness through the context of nervous system work. You can grow that awareness through the concept of mindfulness. And every single one of those has a little different flavor mm-hmm. <laughs> because you are understanding awareness of yourself and, and your felt sense in a different way. Um, and so I felt like, oh, well, wouldn't that be interesting if if there was more attention paid to, you know, the more you're better able to articulate your embodied feelings, I believe that that would probably have a better um, support for an output within AI. So to be very specific, like from my understanding of where we're at right now in AI is you have to put in a prompt. So you yourself are putting in a prompt to either a text generator or a visual generator. And so you might want the prompt to be like, hey, find all the research about, um, you know, fascia within the last 10 years based on the work of Tom Myers and excluding, you know, maybe there's somebody you want to exclude or maybe there's someone that you want to weave in, like some other like the work of Elizabeth Larkham and how that worked. And then it would create, and and you'd say in five paragraphs. And so it would then create this document for you. And then the idea right now is that, you know, in February of 2023 is you go in most likely make some edits, make sure that it's accurate. And then you essentially post this blog, this article. So it's essentially kind of, in my mind, it's like, oh, you can design a draft. And so that would really impact educators, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and if you are a creative and you are an educator, you know, being able to leverage AI in a way that allows you to maybe more quickly design your education could be supportive. Um, but then the other piece that I was reading that I also thought was interesting was, um, with, was within the Atlantic and it was called the most important job school of the century by Charlie Warzel. And he speaks, uh, to this point that it, it's quite interesting. It's all like right now we're in this point where it's all about essentially what you're putting in. They're called prompt generators. So you're trying to put in some sort of a prompt. And so what I'd love to see and what I'd love to discover. Um, and so we're thinking of doing a follow-up podcast on this, but how does it change? How, how do the prompt outputs change when you are able to be more descriptive with your emotionality or with mm. your sense of feeling or your sense of embodiment. And from what I've read in, in the Warsaw article, it depends on, you know, well, there's different types of AI um, creators. So depending on which one you're using, they all have like a different flavor, sure. um, which, you know, makes sense. But this makes me think how if we're trying to, if you're in a world in 10 years from now and everything seems to be created by AI, whether it's the article you're reading or something, some post you're seeing on social media or the TV you're watching or the reel or whatever you're seeing. Or the piece of art you're looking at. Yes. Thank you. Or the music that you're listening to. Thank you. Yeah. Like how there's, is, will there be an existential sense of loss Will people feel that there's a loss of embodiment somehow? Um, oh, I want to just pause. I want to, can, can I stop you for one yeah. second? Because I love this, this language of existential loss is so powerful because I think most of us will not notice until it's the accumulation of the loss is making it difficult for us to get out of bed as an example and I think about this in relationship to the to COVID and the nervous system and what none of us knew what was happening to us over the days and weeks and months of sheltering in place. Because the, this lack of, of one, uh, you know, larger understanding of safety and, and then our lack of ability, not, not, for the blame of ourselves, but the the world that we live in to identify our embodied experiences and then to even have the language to express that. We thought, you know, we, there's there was always this caveat of like, not for everybody, for but for people who were in their own homes, sheltering in place, in a safe place where there wasn't already dis, dis-ease or dysfunction or even violence. So for me, for example, or for you, for example, we think, well, I'm in the confines of the home that I created and that's a safe space, but we are isolated. And so in fact, over time, that isolation from the rest of the world, the the forcing of being only to be in one place chips away at our sense of safety and we actually end up not feeling safe. And we don't even realize it. And I would, I would theorize or postulate that that's exactly what will happen with AI is that we will not notice 
the existential loss until it hits us over the head one day and we don't know why we're depressed and we don't know why we can't get out of bed and we don't know why we've lost motivation or we don't know why we're always manic or we don't know why we're always angry. That is, I think that is the fallout and we won't notice it because it will be so insidiously slow and consistent. Not to be like all nihilistic about the whole thing, but, <laughs> but, but I think, but I really like, wow, that just hit me when you said that, because I think we have to be proactive. We have to be preventative. We have to educate ourselves and share this information with other people so that they can become aware of the critical nature of humanness and human connection because there is no turning away from AI unless you're going to go off the grid and live in, you know, the woods and, and not engage with the digital age, which most of us are not going to do. So we have to, we have to armor ourselves with this understanding. And I would say, again, now I'm on the soapbox is that we need to, we, we need to like deliberately engage in becoming more embodied on purpose. Yes. And that's why. And teach that to our children and infuse it into our businesses and make sure that that is one of our primary values and jobs because the world we are entering into is going to be one that eventually will be unrecognizable unless we, unless we, we, we like, we've got to take up this banner to, to, to be more embodied. I mean, it's just astounding already how, you know, I was just love that. I don't know what the exact quote is, but from, I think it's the Dubliners by James Joyce. I think I've got that right. Where He's talking about the main character who walks around the heck is the character's name with his head completely separated from his body. Mm-hmm. You know, that was written decades ago and, and the relevance to the way that we live our lives now right? Is, is that this value of our intelligence, our intellect, our thinking is something that is really the only value in our body is something we take to the gym. Maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that. I love that. Or, you know, but no, I take it to, to, to my Pilates studio or yeah. I take it to my yoga class. Like that's still not enough. Like what we're advocating for is that the embodiment is, is, is a, is a practice that is with you, you know, that is always with you. And yeah. at some points you can really dive into it. And then other times you cut it off and you're all in your head, but don't never return to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just is you like the, none of this dualistic, you know, like understanding of, of who we are and, and, and how we experience the world. It makes me think of, um, uh, Dr. Gabor Matei, and he talks about us, and you know this from your, you know, your pain science work, but it's bio, we are biopsychosocial spiritual, period. We are all the things in one big jumbled pot. We are not separate. So it's also a paradigm shift, right? Of like, I'm not going to dance between my embodied self and my thinking self. They're not different. Like they are actually, in fact, not different because you cannot have a thought without your body experiencing something and your body cannot experience something without you having a thought or, or having an emotional expression. They are just interwoven and they're happening almost simultaneously. (laughs) I didn't know I was getting hit. so excited. But I mean, it's a passionate thing, right? Yes. I feel like, um, I am 
definitely passionate about this topic. And I feel for those of us who, who are practicing or are curious, whether we're receivers or givers of embodiment practices, that, um, you know, as we, as technology increases and it, and, and it sometimes it's unclear, well, is that, is that reality or is that a figment of, you know, or is that a bot or is that just, you know, AI put together? Yeah. Um, how can we feel that there's that, it just feels like you have to put a stake in the sand and say, you know, this is, this is what an embodied experience is. And like you yeah. said, it's not either or, it's and, yeah. it's both. And so we would love to hear um, from others of you who have thought about this. Um, and we'd love to probably get some technologists on. <laughs> love oh to my gosh. someone who, who designs this work to see if we're on par. But um, I'd be really curious to... To, to speak with someone who who works in this vicinity and is thinking about this because um you know it's not just people i think who's who are designing the work thinking about it but a lot of society and we want to i think all of us can have all of us can be at the table with ideas and support so that the ai that we do create and that we do use on the daily isn't going to be an insidious beast <laughs> Yeah, well, that it doesn't separate it yeah. doesn't separate us from our humanness, but but can it enhance our humanness? That's I think an interesting question. I wanted to circle back to your your thought about you know how we enter a prompt. You know, does it make a difference whether or not there it it, it has a a nuance of of emotional tone, which is an expression of, of embodiment, right? We use expressive language and emotional language to, to say how we're feeling. And so I, I'm curious about that, but it begs another question, um, which is, do we individually have the language even? And you kind of, you kind of touched on that when you were talking about it, but it is actually, I think a bigger issue you know, there's that great book called Emotional Intelligence. Um, I can't remember who the author. Do you remember the author's name of that book? I don't off the top of my head. It easily Googleable. Um, easily. Yeah, Daniel Goleman. That was emotional. Goldman. Yeah, Daniel Goleman. Um, but I'm thinking like it, it's not just emotional intelligence. What if we what if we position it as embodied intelligence, right? Like what is your level of embodied intelligence, which in my mind informs emotional intelligence. And then that's what helps to give us um, better access to the language because that's a, that's a big piece. I mean, you can feel all the feels as they say, but if you don't have the language to express what you're feeling, then it's, it's almost like, you know, you're in the water with a little life raft, but the, but the island is over there. Like you can't get to the island if you don't have the language. Absolutely. I mean, what we know from research around emotion and around is that you, you've got to be able to label it. It's in the labeling yeah. that you develop that ability to essentially separate yourself from the emotion, not in a not in a bad way, but it's more like, and not in a, I don't even know if separation is the right view. 
it's that you give yourself more perspective or distance from the emotion so that you're able maybe to see the emotion in its entirety versus just this hot feeling you're feeling or this cold feeling you're feeling or this overwhelm. Yeah. I mean, the new, I think the, I think the value is in the nuance, right? Because, Mm -hmm. because we, we are complex creatures and our relationships are complex. Our engagements are complex. And and I think that kind of speaks to this idea of how do we keep humanness in, in, in our endeavors and in our interactions. I wanted to read something um, because I find it so relevant. I was rereading it this morning as, as we right now are in a, um, a fulfillment process of a new program called Nervous System Integration Facilitators Training. So this is our first um, training where we're actually teaching educators how to facilitate the nervous system work for greater behavior change. And it's fabulous. One of the resources we're leaning into is Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart because in order to meet our uh, our students or our customers or our clients or our you know people we're in relationship with to meet them where they are and for them to be able to meet us we have to establish a shared language and so the language of the nervous system um, and how it gets expressed in the body but also from an emotional perspective is is a big thread for us so this is from Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. It's, I think, in either the introduction or chapter one. And she says, she's quoting um, a philosopher, Ludwig, um, uh, I, I don't know what it is, uh, what the last name is, W-I-T-T-G-E-N, Stein, Wittgenstein. That's probably how you say it. Um, it says, the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. I thought that was so powerful. Um, What does it mean if the vastness of human emotion and experience can only be expressed as mad, sad, or happy? Right. So that's a deep lack of nuance. And then she goes on to write this. I love this so much because I'm going to draw it back to the nervous system. Just wait for it. Language is our portal to meaning making connection healing, learning, and self-awareness. And for me, I would put self-awareness first (laughs) because that's what impacts our meaning making, our connection, our healing, and our learning. The word connection stands out to me because what we know about the polyvagal theory, which is one of our foundational theories that we use in teaching nervous system facilitation work, is that it it's the science of connection. And so we, we have to have language. We have to have shared language. It's not enough for me to have the language, but Anne and I need to have it together. And we need to say, this is the, this is how I would express it. Does that mean the same thing to you? Right. That's how we are going to maintain the humanness of our interactions is by together unearthing and discovering what our shared language is so that we can understand each other and we can create together and we can be in relationship to each other, whether we're, you know, in a a intimate partnership or we're in a creative partnership or in a business partnership. So I, I really think it's just not enough 
it, it's like when you say, when we talk about bringing embodiment to anything, one of the major roadblocks for folks is how do I even express that? What, what is that? You know, how, what is the language of embodiment? And, and so if we're going to bring it to these areas of, uh, you know, advancement, that's, it's part of the work is to be in the experience and part of the work is learning how to express the experience so that we can, we can communicate better and create cohesiveness. Yeah. I mean, I think the opportunity here is the feeling that how much, how much more, how, how it will be more important to be able to have, whether you call it, I think you call it, you called it embodied experience, embodied intelligence, mm -hmm. or AK, or, you know, the other concept is emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. so that you are able to navigate uh, the world of AI, and then to be able to navigate, you know, what if you're, you're interacting with AI all day, and then you have to turn around and inter interact with your family, that's going to be a little bit of a switch, right? Yeah. Um, and how well, and that's when your nervous system freaks the fuck out, and you don't know why, right? Those subtle shifts. It's like, if you're dealing, even if you're on the computer all day, it, you know, whether you're conscious of AI interaction or having it or not, and then you turn around and engage with your family. I think we've all, we've all had that experience. You, you, there's resistance. That transition is not always easy and we don't recognize it as a nervous system response, which then is dictating the, the way that we respond the you know the way that we say a thing the, if we you know have patience or if we're grumpy or if we whatever whatever it might be but i really do think that's um it's a huge huge consideration i was just thinking too like even transitioning from work to home absolutely right yeah and, and yeah and the and the energy that that takes up you know, you wouldn't think that it would, but it does. And I think for many of you, you can relate <laughs> you know, to the, those transition moments. I feel like I hijacked your thought just a little bit, Anne. No, no, we're, we're good. We're totally yeah. good. Oh, that's, you said something though, uh, that made me think of like, it's not just, um, like it's, so if we talk about it in a broader terms of like technology, the intersection of technology and in, in, and um, embodiment. I, I'm also aware of, um, because this is an avenue of work that we're starting to go down, is working with businesses to create cohesiveness within their teams using behavior change and the nervous system work. And, um, you know, when we are working in isolation, when we're working in front of computers, when big businesses now are spread out over the globe much more easily and readily, and we don't have a place of work and community to come to. Um, there is a sense of, of disconnect and, and, and disconnection is a lack of safety, right? When we are in connection, it's because we feel safe and safety creates connection. So this is also another area of intersection that I'm, I'm very curious about. There's a book that I, I haven't actually started to read yet, but um, my friend Corey gave me called Back to Human. And it's by Dan 
um, Shawbel, S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L, how great leaders create connection in the age of isolation. And I, I can't wait to dig into it because I do think it's it's really relevant and certainly made me think about the conversation you and I had um, in January about our work in in the next 10 years and how it's going to make an impact. <laughs> Period. End of sentence. <laughs> well, we look forward to hearing from you all and where where you think your career might be in 10 years with AI and, and embodiment yeah. and the connection and the intersection between the two. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, this was a great conversation and and we we might end up if we if we have the follow through to do that little bit of experimenting right with AI prompts. So stay tuned. And if you've had some experience with that, we'd love to know about it. You can share with us. Um, and if you are uh, a technological developer of AI <laughs> and prompts, um, and you you want to have a voice, you could have a voice here. So reach out to us, and um, we'd love to have you on. Okay. Thanks so much, Anne. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube, both are better, and if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do, or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?